Good morning. You guys can grab a seat. We are continuing working through Hebrews. And uh, this last week we spent a good amount of time talking about the covenantal relationship that we have with God, that God didn't just ask us to, to follow him, but he wanted us in relationship. And so he did it through a covenant where he asked, essentially through Jesus Christ, was saying, will you marry me? Will you marry me? And our role and our process was to say, I do, to just to submit to God in that way through Jesus Christ and enter into that relationship where it was, again, the author has been spending a ton of time in this high priest discussion, essentially from the beginning of the book, is talking about how Jesus is greater, how Jesus is better than anything that we see in the old system, in the new system, period, Jesus is better than. And so we, we talked about that covenantal relationship and how that is ours to be had through Jesus Christ and the, and the blood that was spilled. And then today, he again carries on this discussion. But I think the, the discussion that, that happens today, like last week where I said the, co- the word covenant seems kind of ancient for us, but there's no real good modern day word to replace it. And so we really need to acknowledge that there's value to this history more than just, oh, it's interesting. It's history. There's a point it plays. There's a, it, it's pushing us and, and forcing us to see Christ through the text here. And so this text this week actually, um, I believe, answers one of the questions because of that that dual belief of the Old Testament and the, the structure that we aren't necessarily under following and the new covenant, I believe this actually answers a, a really, really big question for a number of us um, that we continue to wrestle with throughout our lives. In fact, even when we talk about a covenantal relationship, my bet is even with all of the technological advances in all of history to, to better medical and uh, to better our health and all these different things. All of these advances have come, and there's always been one problem that is not ever to be solved by technology advancements. And that is the fact that you and I, even though we may be in a covenantal relationship with the Lord, we still at times wrestle with guilt or shame. The question that's plagued every single person since the beginning until, until today and, and will for, until Christ comes back the second time ultimately would be, how do I have, how do I live with this clear conscience? In light of what, what I did last night or last week or what I keep doing over the period of this last year, these sinfulness, these choices, these, these mistakes, they, they start attaching themselves to this guilt or this shame. And so we today, as followers of Christ and those of us that aren't following the Lord, walk around with shame and guilt. And I actually believe that the text here today helps us understand why we aren't supposed to operate that way, but also what, how we are to operate. And it's in understanding the differences between the old covenant and the new covenant. And so that's, that's why we're going we're gonna to dig in here again. Um, before we do, I, I want to just acknowledge one thing as clearly as I possibly can from the front. There, the Holy Spirit will convict us. If you're a follower of Jesus, he will convict you to, to, to live an obedient life to the Lord. So when sin is in place, God and the Holy Spirit does not guilt or shame us. And so if you are wrestling in guilt or shame, if you are sitting in guilt or shame, or you are just bathing in guilt or, guilt or shame, and you just operate in that way, I want to really clearly say at the beginning that that is not how God operates. That is our reaction to either the Holy Spirit convicting us or that is our reaction in the sinfulness of ourselves or because of the sinfulness of choices we've made. But that is not of God. In fact, we'll see today in the text that it's actually the very opposite of that. And so I'm, I'm really excited. I hope you guys 
can, I hope the Holy Spirit would just work in your hearts like he has done with me this week. So let's, let's begin reading chapter 9, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, slip your hands up. The, Bible, the, the ushers will give you one. You're welcome to look on your electronic device as well. Again, this is just after covenantal relationship and why the new covenant is greater than the old covenant and how the, how the new covenant is becoming obsolete. Again, we have to remember in the time period here, this is written sometime in the 60s AD. The temple in all Jerusalem is crushed in 70 AD. And so all of the Levitical priesthood and the sacrificial system and everything that was playing, that was still happening in the Jewish, um, Ju- in Judaism, is, is done away in 70 AD when the temple is destroyed. There's obviously Judaism continues, but this system, this old covenantal system is still operating, even though Jesus has already lived, already been crucified, already raised from the dead, and already ascended into heaven. This is the teaching that's happening. And so he's saying in, in the end of 8 that essentially this is passing, this is going, and that's what he's talking about. Actually, it was just a few short years after this was written that the temple is destroyed. Um, verse 9, or chapter 9, verse 1. Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section, in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It, was, it is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold in which was a golden urn holding the manna, and Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties. But into the second only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. Okay, we're going to pause real quickly. He, he goes in and starts defining how this was set up, how the tabernacle and everything was to look where for, through the old covenant, the holiness of God rested in the inner room, the most holy place in there with the Ark of the Covenant and all these descriptions. You can geek out a lot on modern day pictures of what this looks like, and I would encourage you to do that. But even this author, he, he does because this was written more like a sermon as opposed to a letter. He does this. He's like, oh, this is great. But, but we can't talk about that right now. I got I to gotta go into what I'm, what I'm really wanting to deal with. And so he, he's talking about this preparation and these, these specific ways and how everything was set up in a very specific way. And, and we've talked about this over the last few weeks, but quick reminder, there was, there was the tent and there was the two rooms inside the tent. There was the one room that would be the daily duties that would happen on a regular basis for all priests to go into. And this would, there would have been, um, and then the most holy spot that only the high priest went in one time a year to offer the, the atonement for, for just the generalized sinfulness of the Israelites as opposed to the previous room, the, single, the first room, which was multiple sins and every different thing there. But this entire system, this entire thing was in place for two things. One is God's presence on the earth and worshiping him. It was about worshiping God, and so they would worship God through burnt offerings and incense and, and, and all of these different ways, and they would make right a sinfulness, or if they, they saw something that great that God did, they would then offer something to him, and it was, a, it was a, an art of worship. So God is very clear, and he set this up. It was made by man, but he tells Moses how it's to be made. He tells them how it's supposed to be made. And so they put these in place and it's, it, they follow the rules and how it's in place. And so when the, tr- the temple's built, it's the same thing. And each of these rooms, you would have the inner room that only the, the high priest could go, the other room that the priest could go, the outer court that then men of, of Israelites could go, and then the outer court of that women could go as well. And then the outer courts from that would be anyone that was not of Jewish descent. And so there was this infrastructure in place going to that one holy spot for the Lord. 
when we just talked a few weeks ago about how in Christ being our anchor, he has, he, has, he has literally torn away and put you and I into the most holy place. And he doesn't just like walk us in there, but he has actually anchored us into there to the throne room of God. And so anyone who has submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ is now in the holy presence of the Lord. This is important for us to understand. You are in the presence of the Lord. In the old covenant, every single one of us that weren't a part, a descendant of Levi, that weren't a part of the priesthood, we would have, we would have been in the outer court looking in at the holiness of God. We would have been, been offering, and, and well, I, you know, I had someone die in my family, and so I had to do the burial, so now I'm ceremonial unclean, so we've got to go through this system to make myself clean through the temple, to make ourselves holy, because God is very specific about us doing two things, one being with him, two worshiping him. And he has this whole intricate system that when we look at it, we're like, man, that just kind of just seems like a mess. It's very rigorous and, and this is the way it is. But, but every single person prior to the new covenant in Jesus Christ, this is how they worship the Lord. This is how they worship God. And this system doesn't make us feel good about being the new covenant and just look back and be like, those suckers. No, instead, it, it's a shadow pointing to the value of the new covenant. In fact, there's still expectations for you and I in worshiping the Lord. You know, one of the things, I don't have time to go into this, but one of the things that's, that I think the church has done a poor job of is we've, we've literally labeled worship as music. And don't get me wrong, it is, but the first time that that word shows up in the scriptures is when Abraham's about to dismember his son and burn him on the altar. You wait here, I'm going to go up here and worship. Worship has always included sacrifice. It, yeah, it, it is singing, that's great, worship that way, but that is, it is so much more. And so God is about us worshiping him. But when we go back to the fact that what we did last week or last night or with that person or what we did again, what do we first do? Most of us that follow Jesus, when we sin, instead of pushing in to the Lord to worship him, we recoil, we withdraw, we pull back. I see this, I see this in couples. When a, when a husband's failing with, with porn and miserably, he, he distanced himself from his wife as opposed to pushing into her. We distance ourselves from the Lord. We, we think we can, we can actually step out. Now, going back a few weeks to the idea of us being anchored, we aren't getting anywhere in our mental distance. We're still anchored to the throne room of God. And so the Israelites then, they were worshiping God, and they were, they were giving themselves to this, but they were always kind of on the outside looking in. And we talked about how the, the, the radical difference is that no longer is God coming to us, but he's bringing us to him in the new covenant. He's entering us into relationship. And so this is just him saying, here's this intricate system that's put in place so that worshiping of God can happen. And the expectation is that we would worship God in holiness, but yet every single Israelite knew that by the animals they're bringing, by the mistakes they're making, that, man, I just don't feel holy. And he goes on here. Let's, let's pick up in verse, in verse 8. By this... The Holy Spirit indicates that the way into holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. Okay, present age seems a little weird. Again, the time is a little interesting because Christ has already come, but the Levitical system is still in place. And so as he's talking to these people, he's saying the present age has come, has been ushered in by Christ, but we see the enactment of still the Levitical system. This sacrificial system is still playing. Again, just shortly after this, some three, four years the temple's done away and the sacrificial system is, is done. It no longer happens. And so he's saying, this present age, okay, and then goes on. According to this arrangement, 
gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. So everything that these Israelites were doing cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. This is so important for us to catch. So important. That means that, that any one of those chosen people by God, worshiping God through the sacrificial systems, whether it was purifying for a, uh, or cleansing themselves because of, of defilement in some way, or um, giving themselves up for sin, or praising God because of what he's done, and they just want to offer something to him. That worship, all that was being done, was done without a clear conscience. Now, the reason why that's important for us is, is twofold. One is that when we find ourselves sinfully pushing against the Lord, we find ourselves dis, like removing ourselves from worshiping, worshiping God. And yet here, every single person prior to the new covenant was continuing to worship God in spite of their conscience. And so that's one just little simple thing we can take from this. But the bigger and the more profound one is why today are those of us that are following the Lord Jesus Christ still trying to worship God without a clear, without a clear conscience? And that's the question that he says here. So let's, or that's the answer he, he hopefully has for us here. He says, but deal, these, they don't clear the conscience of the worship, but only deal with food and drink and various washes, washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation, the new, the present time, the new time. But when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things that have come, we've talked extensively about Christ being high priest and the value of that. When he appeared, then through greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. We're going to talk a lot in two weeks after the serve the city this next week. Two weeks, we're going to talk a ton about blood and death and what that means. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Um, <laughs> we're going to bring in animals. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to bring animals. Okay, sorry. So he says... Um, for eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, meaning they did sanctify, they were working, these were things that were happening, but it never, ever instilled in those worshipers a clear conscience. So if those did sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God for what? To purify our conscience from dead works into serving the living God. Do you see what happens there? In an instant, he just tells us exactly why you and I should not, if we're submitted to the Lord, should not in any way, shape, or form be worshiping, operating, living, or acting with any guilt or shame. In one fly sentence. Why? Because the blood, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ as our high priest the old covenant has gone. It was a beautiful picture, shadow of what worshiping God was, but it's gone. And now, instead of us having to go into an inner room, which we're not allowed to be in, we are anchored in the, in the inner room to the presence of God, the throne room of God, and we are held and secured by Jesus' work and blood and not our own. And so because of that, I can then stand up in the throne room of the Lord and worship him with a complete guilt, shame-free, clear conscience. This is, a, this is a big deal because a lot of us today still wrestle with this guilt or shame. We still are, are battling with the fact that like, well, I know, I know I'm saved, but then I did this, or I know I said I wasn't gonna do this again, but I keep doing it. And we keep giving ourselves to the sinfulness and then what ends up happening is we, we start just believing the lie that, well, obviously Christ didn't pay for that. 
His death wasn't enough for that, so he must be, like, upset with me. He must be ashamed of me, and therefore I feel guilty. You know, one of the things that, that just rocked my world was this idea of Christ anchoring us into the presence of God. Because essentially what that means is any one of us, me, you, anyone that submitted their life to Jesus Christ, you are literally in the presence of God. So when you or I choose to sin, when we choose to operate in sinfulness, whether it's, whether it's, it's in pride or anger or lust, whatever it is, whatever our, our choice of sin is, we don't leave. We don't like unanchor ourselves and walk out of the presence of the Lord and say, see you later and do this over here. We literally bring that into the throne room of God. My sinfulness comes into the presence of God. Now that, hang on now, stay with me. And what is deserved of that? Death. Death is what is deserved of that. And then we learn because Christ is the mediator of the new covenant. Because Christ is the advocate of the new covenant. He's in the presence of the the holy room and our sinfulness is coming in. And he's saying, no, 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 my my death paid for that. No, no, I, I covered that. While we're sinning, he's like, yeah, yeah, my blood washed over that and that, and that, and he's advocating for us. He's saving us on a regular basis. He's interceding for us. He's praying for us to not make that choice. We never leave the presence of the Lord. We are in the presence of the Lord with that brokenness and that sinfulness. And because of that, we then now probably hearing that kind of go, ooh. There's that little feeling in our gut of going, ooh, wow. Well, so what I did last night, or that night, or last week with her, or with him, that, that was in the in the presence of God? And if we're not careful, if we, if we don't go past the fact that that is true to the very true part that Jesus is right there going, my blood washes, my blood covers, my blood covers, you're anchored. I will not lose you. I'm praying for you. I'm saving you. Then we lose sight of just how big and beautiful and profound it is what God has done for us. So you and I can worship God with a clear conscience in spite of our guilt-deserving actions. In spite of my actions that cause guilt, I can worship God in a clear, clear conscience, not because of anything I've done. Not because of anything I've done. It's because of what he has done for us. Now, when we come to this text, when we think about this and our, our purifying of our conscience and what God's doing there, we, ha- we have to acknowledge a couple things. First off, like, I'll, I'll admit right now, like, this is a really hard thing to think about. It's really, really difficult to to picture standing in the presence of the Lord, Jesus Christ covering the sin that we're doing in that very moment. But if we try to remove ourselves out of it, what we do is we try to put ourselves in the old system where the holy spot is at a distance. And we're just kind of looking in, lobbing in sacrifices in hope that we can do it. And he said, no, and he's yanked us right into the presence and said, no, you're mine. I married you. I washed you. I have made you righteous. And so you're mine. And so you can stand in my presence, not because of anything you've done, because of what I've done. And so for most of us, what we do, because we are guilt-ridden, we try to earn our way to God. We give more money. We serve more. You'll sign up for like six projects for the Serve the City next week and just be like, I got to serve everywhere so I can feel good about it. I'll just keep myself busier and I'll do more and I'll do more and I'll do more. That is based on the assumption that we need to do something to earn that salvation, to earn that relationship, to earn that clear conscience. And I will tell you right now, no matter what you do, no amount of good works, No amount of amazingly good works, no amount of relationships, no amount of church attendance, no amount of obedience will bring about a clear conscience. The only thing is Jesus Christ. 
And then through that clear conscience that I have in Christ, I then walk in obedience. See, this is the, the profound thing that we need to realize is there were very specific ways in which we are to worship God in the Old Testament. We see that over and over again. There are very specific ways in which we are to worship God today. He still calls for sacrifice. Die to yourself daily. He still calls for obedience. Those who love me will keep my commandments, will obey me, and you'll remain in my love as I remain in my Father's love. There's still the, the expectation, but it's not that you do those in hopes to get a clear conscience. You do those out of a clear conscience and a clear standing and a righteous standing with the Lord because of what Jesus Christ has done for us through his blood. And so for those of us that walk around today in guilt or shame, I tell you right now, that is a work of the enemy. That is a lie you're telling yourself. I'm going to pick on moms for a second. Stop comparing yourself to other moms. Pick on guys for a moment. Stop being so insecure. Stop looking in the mirror and believing the lie that you're telling yourself and, and rest in what God says about you. Everything I do, every sinful choice I make does not need to bring me to guilt. It should convict me, the Holy Spirit. Praise God, he convicts me to cut me away from things of the flesh so that I can be walking in the new creation that I am. But I don't have to sit in guilt. And this isn't an excuse to be like, sweet, I can sin all I want, no guilt. That's, you know, you don't, don't pass, go, or collect your $200, start over. Like, you, you missed something. You missed something immensely there. Because I, I, can't, I can't look anyone, I've yet to meet someone that can rest on the fact that they are literally in their sinful state, in their brokenness state. God's blood washes over them at their worst. And he then says, hey, come hang out with me in the presence of God. Where they're like, yeah, that's cool, I'll just do something else. We may operate like that, but no one ever stays there. No one ever stays there for that long. We see that this work was so profound in verse 14 that we see um, that God did this entire thing for us to be in a clear conscience with the, with the entire actment of the, Holy, of, the, of the Trinity. Verse 14 says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit, Spirit of God, Holy Spirit, offered himself, Jesus, without blemish to God the Father. So we see that, that for this act, for this to happen, it took the entire Trinity to play this role so that we could have purified consciences. So what do, what do we do with this? What do you do with this? How do you operate recognizing that my assumption is most of us have felt guilt or shame? I, I know I, this just confronted me in a massive way this last week. What do you do with this? Is you, a couple things. First off, if you are claiming to follow Jesus Christ, you've submitted your life to Jesus, and you just continue to sin, and it's not a battle, you don't care. Let me give you an example. It's like, ah, I know that the scriptures talk about drunkenness, but I just don't care. I was a little drunk, and I'm just going to do that all the time. There's a, there's a heart condition there, okay? I'm not going to tell you whether you are or aren't saved, but there's a heart condition that, that, that needs to be checked. If you're like, oh, yeah, I know. I love the Lord, but we're going to be married anyway, so we can sleep together all we want. That's, that's adultery in the scriptures. That's disobedience. That's, there's, there's a heart condition there. Now, to wrestle with that, man, I'm attracted to her. I'm attracted to him, and, and we're going to get married, and we're, we're battling. That's a totally different thing than just to say, I don't care. So some of you are guilt-ridden and shameful because you're operating in a way that would bring about that. And I'd love to save you, but I, I can't in that. The only thing that will bring about a clear conscience is a submission to Christ and his blood being spilled for you. And some of you, you're just, you're just wallowing in guilt and shame because you can't, you can't get out of the fact that everything you do is worthy of guilt and shame. Now, for those of you that are in Christ for those of you that submit your life to Jesus Christ and you're wrestling with guilt, I think we've forgotten this. I think we, we I think literally, I think we've just, we've missed this in some way. And we need to remember like, oh, I'm like, oh, okay, so 
I'm not going to minimize my sin because Christ went to the cross for that, so that's not exactly a small cost. But instead, I'm not, I'm not identified by my sinful choices. I can, I can stand in, in righteousness, not mine, but his. I can stand in confidence, not mine, but his. And I can do the works of the living God, not by my own, but by the Spirit in me. And so it, maybe it's just, for us, it's just a remembering, like, hey, you guys, guilt and shame don't belong in a follower of Jesus Christ. They, they don't belong there. This is like, I'm telling you right now, if we could time warp all of the first century Jews into this room and they'd be like, what? Are you kidding me? We've been wanting that forever. We've been having to look in and you guys are standing in the presence. You don't have to worry about your conscience and the guilt-ridden feelings that you have. Was this enough? Did it work? Did it not? You can literally be free of that. They'd be like shaking us. be like, what's wrong with you people? This is why it's important for us to see the old covenant. Some of you, you're experiencing shame and guilt because the person next to you keeps pushing it on you. Stop that. I don't know what else to say about it. Spouses. Some of you, you, you parents do this to your kids. We've got we to gotta stop shaming each other. I, let, me just, let me just clue you in on something. I get to do a lot of weddings. I'm just picking on marriages for a second. I get to do a lot of them, okay? I enjoy them. They're fun. I guarantee, I guarantee the day you say I do, that within the first week, they will have done something that proves, that puts into question whether or not they really do. I do. You're going to mess up. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to fall. You're going to struggle. You're going to wrestle. And I think that's why we need to fix our eyes more on this. On the fact, in spite of my mistakes, in spite of my, my mess-ups, in spite of what I'm inviting into the presence of the Lord that deserves death, but Christ has taken that death and now has given me life, in spite of all that, I can stand in confidence with a clear conscience. Guys, that should just well up in us some excitement to be free for once and for all, to stop feeling this, I'm not good enough. I don't do enough. You're not good enough, and you don't do enough. You are deemed perfect in Christ, and everything you do is his spirit in you. So stop thinking about yourself and let yourself be clear. Another reason why a number of us are struggling with a clear conscience is because we don't believe God. We just don't believe it. We see the scripture, and some of you are already doing this in the room right now. Oh, yeah, clear conscience, but he doesn't know what I did. Oh, you're right, I don't, but guess what? The Lord does. He's not confused. He's not like, what? I didn't see you around that corner. He's not confused at all. And you just don't believe this is true. You literally don't. You want to? But you're like, ah, it just, it just can't apply to me. I've done too much. Boy, if, I, if I come out with this in the, in the light, then it's going to cause too much pain. And so you just, you just recluse back. You recoil back. And what ends up happening is you stop worshiping. You stop worshiping God. You stop sacrificing for him, and it becomes about yourself. And then you get so fixated, the only mirror you're going to see is guilt or shame. That's all you're going to see. The, the further you distance yourself from the Lord, that's all you're going to see. And so we're going to... We're going to continue to worship, not just in singing, hopefully in, in our life, but as we move forward, I think some of you, I want to, I want to encourage you a few things. One is we've, we've been trying to get and create space for all of us to spend more time in prayer. There's power in prayer, and God moves in prayer, and he, he calls us to pray. He commands us to pray, and he even shows us how to pray. And so I want to encourage you that some of you right now, like as you sit about this guilt and shame, you're feeling it. Like your, your heart's racing. You're going, if I say this to her or him, what will happen? What will be the repercussions? I'll lose this. And you're, you're playing the, the what if game that you just need to like let go of, not care about, not worry about, don't even, don't even think twice about it. But you need, to, you need to instead just give yourself 
give yourself to someone and say, pray for me. I need to call this out into light. I'm done carrying this sinfulness. I'm done, I'm done operating with this way because as I carry it, as I think about it, it just brings about more guilt and shame. It's amazing how darkness loses its power when it's called to light. And yes, it's painful. And yes, the people around you maybe struggle with that. And they may respond in a guilting or shaming way, but you're going you're gonna to stand in the presence of the Lord and say, I am in a clear conscience. And so some of you, you need to pray. And so what we did is, I understand that we asked you guys to pray with the people next to you. Pray, come back. We, we create a little space back there with some curtains. I understand sometimes it's, it's hard to, to have some space, but there will be people that are always there every week for you guys to be prayed with. And we want you, they are safe people to be prayed with. Or you can just pray with the person next to you. I don't care. But some of us, we need to, we need to repent. You, you keep looking to other things to solve the very struggle of this lack of clear conscience when at the end of the day it's your own pride and you just need to repent. God, I did this. And don't minimize, don't, well, when they did and when they did and when they said this is how I felt like, don't even, you don't even have to do it. It's just this is what I did. This is what I did and I am, I am done carrying this. I, Lord, I, I ask for your forgiveness. Just call it out. Don't minimize it. So yeah, you know what I did last night, God, so forgive me. Like, no, God, last night in front of the computer screen, I did this and it followed through this way and it's sinfulness and forgive me. Call it out so it has no power over you. Let it happen. And some of us, we need to just stand. And you need to stand boldly, confidently, with a clear conscience saying, Lord, I can worship you in spite of the fact I'm struggling. Because that's what the old covenant people did. They didn't have a clear conscience, but they kept systematically, routinely, continually worshiping God. We could learn something from them in that. But the most profound and beautiful thing is that we don't have to stay there. We don't have to worship and wonder if our conscience will ever be purified. We can stand in the presence of God with a purified conscience, worshiping Him, completely abandoned of everything in our lives. For some of you to do this, it means that you're going to have to sacrifice something. And I'll acknowledge that. Like, it, it may be a really, really big desire of your life. Something that's seemingly good. But the Lord's saying, no, it's time. It's time for you to go up on that hill and worship. I want to show you something. I want to do something with you that, that brings about more worship to me as your God. Wherever it is, I would encourage you to, to not allow guilt or shame to be something that you go to anymore. And for some of you, maybe that means you just need to go back to Ephesians 1 and read everything in Ephesians 1 over yourself again and realize just who you are in light of what Christ has done. Some of us in here, I want to acknowledge this, aren't following the Lord. You have been close. You have thought about it. You like the idea of it. You banked it on some kind of decision that you maybe made at 13, but no life transformation ever happened. There was no new creation in there, and you know it. In your heart of hearts, you know that you're not surrendered or submitted, but you're just too afraid of sacrificing or giving something else up in this. I promise you, you will live a life of guilt and shame with no bereavement from it, no break, no break from it without Christ. And so would you just submit yourself to the Lord? Say, I'm done. I'm done doing this on my own. I'm done pretending like I can bring about a clean conscience. Instead, Lord, would you instill in me, would you purify my heart and my mind? Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us not only a way to worship you, but doing so in a right standing with you. Father, I pray for, for the individuals in the room that have been following you for a long time, but that they would, as we talk about this, they already acknowledge that there is guilt or shame. God, I pray that you would just destroy that, just break away 
any, any root of bitterness or unforgiveness or whatever's causing shame or bitterness. God, maybe it's just the, the struggle with a sin that's seemingly winning the battle right now. Would you give them the faithfulness to open their hands up and call on help to you and your spirit, to the community you've put around them? Heavenly Father, would you allow us to continue to mature in you? And sometimes that means we have to let go of a lot of things. Father, for, for the individual in here that continues to want to have a clear conscience or believe they have a clear conscience without you, God, I just pray you wreak havoc with their hearts. Just, just, just break it. Just break it down. And God, for the people in here that continue to believe the lies from their own mouths instead of the truth from your, your mouth, God, would you just cut off the channel of communication from those lies? Would you help us look in the mirror and recognize that we can look in the mirror not seeing ourselves but seeing Christ we can stand with a clear conscience. We can worship God with a full heart, a joyful heart, a submitted heart, a free heart. And God, for those that aren't experiencing that freedom, God, would you, would you do a work? Would your spirit do a work in them? The community people you have around them, would you show them where to go, what to do, how to live through your word, through your guidance, through your truth? Lord, I pray that there wouldn't be a single believer in this room that gives a shred of time to guilt or shame again, Lord. But instead allows the Holy Spirit to convict us, to move in truth, and to stand with a purified conscience. Praise God that you gave us a way to stand pure. Praise God that you have, in spite of our sinfulness entering into the throne room of God, you have given us a way to stand with a pure conscience. And so God, as we worship you with our voices, um, really not sacrificing much other than a little bit of air out of our lungs. God, would you allow us to experience you in a way we've never experienced you? And not just some emotional hiatus, but a, a true experience where we can stand in confidence, maybe for the first time, look you up, look you in the eyes. I'm reminded of my kids when they do something wrong, they sin, they struggle, they just, and I, as I'm disciplining them, then we get done and having the conversation, there's always that moment there's always that moment when they look up at me and I can tell that I have the ability in that moment to absolutely crush my kids or to bring them into relationship. It's that moment where they're looking going, are we okay? Are we still in relationship? And Father, I'm saddened by the fact that there are people that look at you with those eyes. Confused by the fact that you never, ever turn them away in that. When they sin, they ask for forgiveness. You look at them and say, come to me, worship me with joy and freedom. The relationship is, is yours. It was never gone. You never left. Father, would you give us the confidence to worship you in that posture? I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.